Today's first Bible reading is Isaiah 49, verses 8 to 13. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I have answered you. On the day of salvation, I have helped you. I have kept you and given you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the ways on all the bare heights shall be their pastures. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them down. For he who has pity on them will lead them and by springs of water will guide them. And I will turn all my mountains into a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Lo, these shall come from far away, and lo, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sion. Sing, O joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people, and will have compassion on his suffering. Our second Bible reading is Matthew 17, verses 14 to 27. When they came to the crowd, a man came to him and knelt before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Jesus answered, you faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was cured instantly. Then the disciples came to, the, to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. On the third day he will be raised, and they were greatly distressed. When they reached Capernaum, Capernaum, the collectors of the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? He said, Yes, he does. And when he came home, Jesus spoke of it first asking, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tribute? From their children or from others? When Peter said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the children are free. However, so that we do not give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook. Take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a coin. Take that and give it to them for you and me. Well, good morning, Christchurch Inner West. Richard's my name. I'm the site pastor at St. John's in Ashfield. Uh, Would you join me and we'll pray together as we come to God's word this morning. Our Father, we thank you that you speak to us, that you haven't left us in the dark, but you've told us who you are and what it is that you've done for the world in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you reveal these things to us in the scriptures. And as we open them together this morning, we ask that by your spirit, you would be changing us and growing us to draw our hearts to you and to the Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. How are you going in lockdown this week? Uh, It's been a crazy three weeks, hasn't it? And the restrictions keep getting tighter and tighter. And I wonder, as all of that happens, what stresses and anxieties are you facing? What fault lines, perhaps, have been revealed for you as you've endured this lockdown? 
Some of you are feeling the grief of plans cancelled. For others, your mind is spinning through all of the, the certainties that were certainties and now very quickly become uncertainties for you. You might be struggling with not having enough company, unable to see friends or family or colleagues, or maybe with having too much company confined in close quarters with your family and your housemates. Or maybe you're struggling mostly with having just a little too much of your own company. Maybe you're just bored. How have all these things been playing out in your behaviour as these things have challenged you in recent weeks? I realised just yesterday that I've been grunting a little more than usual. You know, just little annoyances happen. They're not that big a deal, but I find myself going, it's so frustrating, and just doing that more than I'm used to. It's a little sign that actually the pressure has been building. What is it for you? Perhaps you've been a little more short-tempered, a little more easily distracted, uh, perhaps a little more unmotivated than you usually find yourself. Maybe there are uh, temptations and sins in your life that you thought you had well under control and they've started to reappear. Uh, lockdown presses in on us and whatever your reaction to it is, whatever your version of my frustrated grunting is, those things are little signs that we long for one thing when, we, when these things press in around us. We long to be free We long to be free from the circumstances and the restrictions in which we find ourselves. Now, for some of you, lockdown isn't all that bad at all. Your your home life's pretty good. Your local is still open for takeaway. You don't have to commute to work anymore. You're perhaps exercising a little more and getting a start on those projects you've been wanting to do for for so long, as long, of course, as Bunnings remains open. For others, of course, lockdown seems like not that big a deal because it's nothing on the struggles that you are already facing. But even if lockdown isn't the thing for you, you'll have restrictions, you'll have circumstances in your life that you long to be free from. We all do. We're locked down by long-term illnesses, physical and mental. We have habits of heart and mind that keep getting in our way and we can't do anything to change them. We hurt ourselves and others in our relationships. For every one of us, there are things that hold us back from everything that we wish our lives were and from everything that we wish we were and we long to be free. What we're going to hear from God's word today is that freedom from all these things is possible. That freedom is yours if you trust in the Lord Jesus. And not just any freedom, but a true freedom, a beautiful freedom, a deep freedom that no restriction, no challenge, no suffering can ever take away. The kind of freedom which Jesus says means that nothing will be impossible for you. Sounds pretty good, right? Let's unpack this a little more by drawing out some lessons from this passage. Uh, And we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, We're not going to have a three-point sermon. Gasp! No, today we have something even better. We have a five-point sermon. So giddy up, gear up for it, get ready. Five things that this passage from Matthew teaches us about the true freedom that Jesus offers. The first thing we learn, point one, true freedom is spiritual. Uh, The passage opens with something like a scene from an old western. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, you see Jesus has been up on the mountain with three of his disciples, Peter, James and John, who've had this mind-blowing mountaintop experience of seeing Jesus in all his glory in the presence of the Father. They've been debriefing together as they come down the mountain and we pick up the story as they arrive at the bottom of the mountain uh, to see what's been happening while they've been away. Jesus is approached by a man whose son suffers uncontrollable seizures that put his life in danger, someone who desperately needs freedom. 
The man came to the nine of Jesus' disciples who weren't up the mountain, but they discovered that they couldn't help. And so this man asked to speak to the manager. He goes above their heads. He goes to speak to Jesus directly. And he's able to do what the disciples couldn't. And it's easy as. Verse 18, Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was cured instantly. He's free. What I want to draw your attention to first here, though, is the, the kind of cure that Jesus applies here. You see, it's a spiritual cure. Why is that? Well, it's because Jesus diagnoses the underlying condition for this boy as a spiritual one. The cause of the boy's terrible suffering was demonic activity, a spiritual cure for a spiritual sickness. Notice that the first we hear about the demon's involvement in this boy's experience is the moment that Jesus drives it out. The boy's father don't refer to any kind of demonic activity. The disciples don't seem to have noticed it either. This boy's in desperate need, but there's no suggestion that it's a spiritual need. But the boy's father and the disciples have been unable to properly diagnose the nature of his illness. What this is hinting at for us here is that true freedom is spiritual. The Bible's clear that our deepest problem is a spiritual one. Jesus diagnoses our issue as slavery to sin. There are always spiritual realities at work in our lives. Everything in our world, of course, screams at us that material forces are really all there are. Now, you have to be pretty stupid, actually, to believe that there's a spiritual realm at all, much less one that actually has any impacts in our lives. The Bible says completely the opposite. That if you aren't aware that there are spiritual realities at work all around you, then you're only half awake to reality. What does this matter for us? What does it matter for you and me to be reminded of this as we continue through lockdown together and in the restrictions and the sufferings that each of us face in our different ways? Firstly, it's important to say that this absolutely doesn't mean that all sickness and suffering is the result of demonic or spiritual forces. That's not at all what I'm saying. Jesus, in plenty of other places, heals people with no mentions of demonic possession at all. But Jesus' spiritual diagnosis and cure here reminds us that whatever other realities there are, physical, social, psychological, economic, political, he reminds us that you'll never be truly free without seeing that there are spiritual realities at play as well. And even if and when those spiritual realities aren't the cause of your struggles, there will be spiritual work that needs to be done. And so the question that each of us needs to be asking as we wrestle with all those things that are frustrating us, all those things that we long to be free from, is this. What spiritual work needs to be done here? How might this circumstance, this restriction, this struggle actually lead us and tempt us away from God? And on the other hand, how might it be an opportunity to draw nearer to him in faith and trust and love? Probably the clearest way to diagnose your spiritual condition in this kind of way is to have a look at your prayer life. In Mark's version of this story, in Mark chapter 9, and in some of the ancient manuscripts we have of Matthew as well, when the disciples ask why they were unsuccessful in casting out the demon, Jesus replies, this kind can only come out through prayer. That is by confronting spiritual challenges with spiritual resources. And so you might want to ask yourself over the next week or so, how do you confront the various challenges and trials you're facing? Have you been bringing them to God in prayer? Have you been seeking his power in these things? Have you been bringing them to him? If prayer is prayer your first response or your last resort, true freedom is spiritual. 
And a key mark of that freedom is bringing everything to our Father in prayer. Point one. Point two, true freedom also flows from true faith. Uh, The boy's father in this story is desperate to free his son from suffering. And as we've seen, he goes over the disciples' heads to Jesus, who's able to get the job done. And the disciples want to know why it is that they have failed where Jesus has so straightforwardly succeeded. Pick it up with me from verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus says that the disciples have failed because their faith is defective, or or as one other translation puts it, because your trust is puny. They have little faith, but Jesus says they need mustard seed faith. Now, this isn't the first time that Jesus has talked about mustard seeds in Matthew. He talked about mustard seeds in a parable about the kingdom of heaven back in chapter 13. A mustard seed is a tiny little thing that grows into something big and beautiful. We heard about this in the kids' story already, didn't we? It's the idea of growing that makes sense of the comparison that Jesus draws here. You see, Jesus isn't making a quantitative comparison. You just need to have more faith. No, he's making a qualitative comparison. Uh, What the Greek text of verse 20 literally says is, if you have faith as a grain of mustard, that is, if your faith is like a mustard seed, then you'll be able to do these things. Jesus is saying that their problem is a small static faith rather than a small but dynamic growing faith. A seed might be small, but of course it's alive with potential. Commentator Don Carson puts it like this, what is needed is not giant faith, but true faith. True freedom flows from true faith. And so what is it that characterises this kind of true faith? Well, remember again the setting of this conversation. Jesus has been up on the mountain... He left behind his nine disciples while three of them actually went up there and the other nine are probably feeling a little bit left out, aren't they? And a man comes to them desperately seeking help for his boy. The nine who are left look at each other and they they shrug and they say, well, Jesus isn't here, so I guess it's on us, isn't it? We've seen him do it before, so it shouldn't be too hard. We'll just do what he does. You see, these nine disciples thought that they were on their own. Their little faith was enough that they believed that it could be done, but they thought that they were the ones who were going to do it. And so here's the difference, right? Here's the difference between little faith and true mustard seed faith. And if there's only one thing that you remember from the sermon today, this is the thing. Listen up. Little faith says, I know Jesus and I've got this. True faith says, I know Jesus and he's got this. Little faith says, I know Jesus and I've got this. True faith says, I know Jesus and he's got this. You see, the power to set this boy free was never in the disciples themselves. It was always in Jesus. And true faith, like a mustard seed, keeps drawing on the power of Jesus, like a a seed draws on the power of the sun and the soil. And as it does so, it grows. True freedom comes as we trust that Jesus is the one who has this. Now, you might object to all of this on the basis that it's all well and good for the boy in the story, but that for you, 
No matter how much you've asked God to free you from these things, trusting in his power and goodness, asking desperately to be set free from the things that bind you, that you find yourself nonetheless in exactly the same place you've always been, stuck. If that's you, you may well be wondering if Jesus hasn't just disappeared off a mountain somewhere with the chosen few, leaving you behind to work it all out for yourself. What can we say about that? Well, here's what we want to say about that, and it's our third point this morning, that true freedom goes beyond circumstances. Uh, The first thing to say if you're feeling stuck in your circumstances and unable to get free is that Jesus actually does promise that you won't be stuck there forever. You will be free just as this boy was made free, just not yet. The freedom that Jesus gives in the healings that he performs in the Gospels are a picture of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, a picture of what awaits everyone who has true faith in him at the return of the Lord Jesus. Jesus never promises that the fullness of that freedom will be here before he returns to make all things new. And true faith means trusting that he's got this even when we don't see it right here and right now. But the second thing to say is that even though we can't expect freedom from every restriction here and now, Jesus does promise that we can have a deeper kind of freedom here and now, a freedom that goes beyond our circumstances in such a way that they can never overthrow us. The picture that Jesus paints of the freedom of true faith here is pretty mind-blowing, isn't it? You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. What does Jesus mean by this? In the Jewish culture of the day, to move mountains was a metaphorical way of talking about overcoming great difficulties. Jesus isn't saying that you'll literally be able to pick up a mountain with your mind and move it from one place to the other. That would revolutionise the engineering industry, wouldn't it? No, he's saying that no circumstance, no restriction, no challenge, no suffering will be able to defeat you. There will be no great difficulty you face that will be too much for you, that will crush you and defeat you and overthrow you. You see, he's not promising freedom from your circumstances. He's promising freedom in your circumstances. Not a freedom from suffering, but a freedom that exists even in suffering and that can never be taken from you. How is that possible? Keep in mind, again, where Jesus has been, where all of this has been happening, while his disciples have been struggling and failing to cast out this demon at the bottom of the mountain. He's been up the top, where Peter, James and John have seen his glory and experienced the presence of God. Can't be a coincidence, can it, that Jesus keeps talking about mountains just as he's been up and down one. What Jesus is saying now is that all of his disciples... Share in that mountaintop experience of the presence of God if they truly have faith in him. True faith knows that God is always present, even when things aren't going right, even in the midst of suffering. You see, for the one who has true faith, the mountain goes with you. That mountaintop experience can be yours in everything, anywhere, at any time and in any place. And you see, it's in that sense that nothing will be impossible for the one who has true faith. No circumstance will be able to overthrow you because whatever difficulties you face, true faith knows that Jesus has not left you alone, that he's right there with you and that he's got this. Another way of putting that is to say that true freedom is relational. Point four, true freedom is relational. And this is underscored for us by that weird story about temple taxes and fish. It might be the weirdest story in the New Testament, don't you think? What a weird little passage. 
It begins with a move that's typical of Jesus' opponents, where they come to one of his disciples rather than going to Jesus directly. And they ask Peter a question about the temple tax that all Jewish adult males were expected to pay each year. They're trying to put Jesus in a box, you see. Is he a conservative supporter of the temple hierarchy? Or is he a revolutionary who wants to overthrow it? It's a question in one sense about another kind of restriction that's all too familiar to many of us, a kind of social or religious obligation. Uh, Jesus has his own little private debrief with Peter about this interaction. And Jesus indicates for us that the boxes his opponents are trying to put him in completely miss the point. Uh, He does this by, by asking a question about who receives and who pays taxes. His answer, the king receives taxes and others pay it, except for the king's children who are exempt. Uh, You might think of Queen Elizabeth in this connection. She doesn't have any tax obligations. She's not required to pay tax. Rather, the British taxpayers pay her. She doesn't pay tax. The taxpayers pay her way. Uh, I googled this. Uh, Actually, it turns out she does pay tax. (laughs) But she pays it voluntarily, you see. She's under no obligation, but she chooses to pay tax so as not to cause the taxpayers offence. She's been reading Jesus' little story here, I think. She's under no obligation, though, to pay tax, and neither are her children or the rest of her family, except for Prince Harry, of course, who's decided not to be a royal anymore, and now he's busy working out how to avoid paying taxes in the United States, where he's living. You see what Jesus is saying here, though, right? The same in the ancient world as it is for kings and queens now. Uh, Jesus says, actually, I'm exempt from this tax. And as he has this little interaction with Peter, he tells us three things. He tells us something about himself something about us and something about God. What Jesus says about himself implicitly and yet clearly is that because the temple is the house of God and I'm exempt from its obligations, I am God's son. I am the son of God. But he goes even further, you see, he also implies that Peter too is exempt. In other words, that his own disciples are also children of God, free from this obligation. It's kind of like a reverse Prince Harry, if you like. He's left the family and started paying taxes, but God makes us a part of his family so that we're no longer under any obligation of this kind. And then what Jesus does is perform a strange little miracle. It's a little bit confusing. It's a bit weird. We won't get into the details now, but the meaning is clear. Jesus says, I'm God's son, and all those who are my disciples are also children of God and are free And thirdly, that God is a father who provides whatever his children need. What all this adds up to is this, that true freedom is relational. Freedom, you see, is a function of your relationship to your heavenly father. If you have true faith that Jesus has not left you on your own, so that no circumstance can overcome you, what that says about you is that you are a child of the true and living God. You are free from every obligation and he will provide what you need. So we've seen as we've unpacked this passage together this morning that true freedom is spiritual, that it requires and flows from true faith, that it goes beyond our circumstances and that it's relational. But how do you actually get this freedom? That's the most important question of all, isn't it? How do you actually get this freedom? And that's where I want to go as we close with our final point this morning. The answer to how you get this freedom is that freedom is a gift. True freedom is a gift. 
You see, the very heart of this passage is the key that unlocks it all and draws it all together. It's the heart of the gospel itself. Have a read with me from verse 22. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised. If true freedom is spiritual, and if the spiritual diagnosis is that we're slaves to sin, then the only way to get true freedom is to receive it as a gift for someone to win us our freedom and hand it to us. And you see, that's exactly what Jesus has done for us in his death and his resurrection, isn't it? Jesus frees us from our sufferings by suffering himself, the true Lord of all, freely taking on the restrictions of a broken world. Jesus frees us from our obligations by fulfilling them for us, the true Son of God freely paying the heavy tax of sin with his own blood. And because death was powerless to lock him down in the grave, you are not on your own. He is with you. And together with him you have all the freedom of the children of God, a freedom that can never be stolen away from you, safe in the care of your Heavenly Father. How are you going in lockdown? this is true, if you know this in your heart, your response might be, what lockdown? You're a child of God. You're free. You know Jesus and he's got this. Let's pray. Our Father, you're so full of compassion. You're so full of grace and mercy to us. And you gift us true freedom in the Lord Jesus through his body and blood that we might share in his resurrection glory as your children. Father, we long to know this deeply in our hearts, for this to be true to us in our experience, to have that freedom that goes beyond our circumstances and can never be taken away. And so, our Father, we ask that you would be close to those of us who are ill, afraid, isolated. In our loneliness, be our consolation. In our anxiety, be our hope. In our darkness, be our light. Father, give us grace to trust in your goodness and fill us with true faith that rests in your power and so free us from all our fears. We ask this in the name of the one who suffered alone on the cross, bearing our sufferings and paying our debts and who now lives and reigns with you in glory, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.